0: Very good. We're in week number three. This is a five-part series, um, and let me kind of catch you up on kind of the concept of this series. We've been talking about how in life uh, we have events that happen in our lives, and we'll just call that event A, whatever that is. So someone says something to you, or something happens in your life, and you experience then you go to what we call C, and you begin to experience feelings about that. And, and you, you sometimes have said things like, man, you make me so mad. Or you, you make me feel like garbage. You make me feel horrible. There are things that we say. We, we do things and react certain ways based upon this event that has happened. But here's what the premise is, and as we're explaining this... Event A happens, and we go straight to C, but we don't even think about the letter B. That's in the middle. We skip from A all the way to C. And the letter B stands for our beliefs, and they are so powerful because here's the reality. This event or this person has no power to make you feel any way at all. The thing that makes us feel a certain way and the things that make us respond or act a certain way based upon that event, it is all our beliefs. What we believe about that event or that person or what has been said or what has been done, what we believe about that is what makes us feel certain things and what makes us do certain things. We don't even think about those beliefs. They are tucked deep down inside of our heart. No one in your life can make you feel a certain way. Your beliefs do that. No one in your life can make you act or react a certain way. Your beliefs are the only thing that can do that. No one can 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 make you do that. But we can change the way we feel. And we can change our actions and reactions to a certain event. But the only way we can change that is if we change our beliefs. Now, that's what this series, Semicolon, is all about. Yesterday doesn't have to define your tomorrow. But if left alone, it will determine your tomorrow every single time. So we told you, you can change your actions. You can change your feelings. You don't have to be stuck where you are. You don't have to be stuck feeling the same way you felt yesterday. But if things are left just the way they are, then you will. It will determine your tomorrow. You will feel the same way, act the same way, react the same way. Jesus kind of summarizes this concept, and he gives it to us in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. He says this, in his words, But whatever comes out of your mouth comes from the heart, and this is what makes a man unclean and defiles him. Here's what Jesus is saying. What is in our heart, that belief we have tucked down deep in our heart, that is what gives us these feelings, these negative feelings. That's what gives us these actions and reactions. Now, the supreme goal, if you're a Christ follower this morning, our supreme goal in life is to grow ourselves into the image of God. That means we begin to think the way Jesus would think, act the way Jesus would act, react the way Jesus would react, feel, even feel, the way Jesus would feel. And the Bible tells us that the image of God is love, and that means that would be part of everything that we do if we grow in the image of God. But something keeps us Me too. Something keeps us from doing that. And I bet you know where I'm going with that. It is our beliefs that keep us from doing that. It is those very beliefs that Jesus said. That's where our evil thoughts come from. That's where our lies come from. Our bad behavior comes from. Our bad feelings come from. They all come from my heart and from your heart. That's where our beliefs are stored. And this series is about changing your tomorrow. This series is about changing the way you feel. It's about changing your actions and your reactions. And the only way you can do that is to change your beliefs. Now, last week, last week we taught you how to do this. And I just can't encourage you enough. If you missed last week, please go to SoundCloud.com, search for Harley Petty, and get week two of this series. Because we told you how. I'm going to summarize the steps, but we gave you great detail of how to do this. Here's the summary. Last week, we taught you this. Identify the behavior in your life that needs to change. Step two, we said agree with God that it is not godly. That behavior is not godly. Agree with God. Step three, we said find a scripture in the Bible that addresses that behavior or that feeling or that attitude. Find a scripture. Then step four, memorize that scripture. Step five, then we said savor it, which means break down every single word and understand every single word inside of that passage. And then as you're doing all of that, guess what's happening? You're thinking about that verse every day, throughout the day, all day long. And guess what happens? We gave you the concept. James, give us that Uh, give us that uh, that slide here's what happens thoughts those thoughts of God's word that scripture it goes into our heart and becomes a belief just because you've been reviewing it over and over and once it's a belief it becomes an action and this can happen really fairly quickly I mean some of these beliefs in our life are so old they've been there for years and years and years but you can begin to change those. In a matter of weeks. Today, we're going to be talking about beliefs that have been tucked into our hearts, deep, deep down in our hearts. We're going to be taking a tour of some of the most deadly beliefs from our culture. These beliefs have slipped into our hearts, we haven't even noticed that it has happened. And they have sunk deep inside of our hearts. And it's dangerous, not only to us, but these beliefs are dangerous to the people around us that we love. But they are so widespread accepted across our culture that that's where the hidden danger is. Because it's hard for us to look at these beliefs and see what is wrong with them because everybody we know almost is doing it. So, what goes on in our culture, that is not a good guide for us to develop our behaviors and our feelings from because they're not going to reflect the nature of God. That's why these are deadly. So our goal, if it is to transform our beliefs so that everything that we say and everything we think reflects God's design, who He is, because these beliefs become more and more like His, if we allow that to happen. So these beliefs these beliefs that we can develop can bring us freedom. But if we take these beliefs from culture, they're going to lead to destruction. Now, we're going to be looking at a passage where God is speaking through one of His disciples. Uh, the, the guy's name is John. And John gives us these deadly beliefs. Now John starts out this whole thing by saying, listen guys, listen guys, I'm talking to anyone of you who are Christ followers. He says to those of you in here who are mature and have been following Jesus for years and years, he said this is for you. I'm giving you this. He said, any of you who are young in your faith, no matter what your age is, if you're young in your faith, he said, this is for you too. I want you to listen closely. And now here's what he says in 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to start with verse 15. It says, do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. I'm going to pause here for a moment. John says, don't care like the average person might care in the world. He said, don't crave or desire or want the same things. In other words, don't take the beliefs that are out here in our culture today, don't take those beliefs for yourself. Don't don't let the current living lifestyle, he said, don't let that trend Don't let it seep into your heart. And after all, there are trends, right? Things today are not like they were 25 years ago. They're not like they were 50 years ago. Living trends are different. And John is saying, don't take those trends. Don't take the trends and make them your life. That's what he says. Then he goes on. He continues. He says, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Let's pause there for a moment. John is saying you cannot hold dear to your life a love a, a love for thoughts and actions that are running away from God. He said you can't hold on to those. Those are tangent. If this is God's plan for you, this is tangent. It goes another direction. It may even be in an opposite direction. But here's what John is saying. You cannot love God's way and love the culture's way at the same time because they're going in two different directions. He's saying this. You cannot pursue God's direction and His way and pursue The culture's direction and the culture's way at the same time, they're going in two different directions. You would have to split yourself in half and say, hey, right half, you go this way, left half, okay, you're good to go that way. It can't happen. You can only pursue one direction at a time with your life. And John is saying, listen, guys, listen, guys. Be careful which direction you're pursuing. Our bottom line this morning says this. I don't have it for you on the screen. Just listen to the words. Here's our bottom line this is where the teaching is going today. You can't pursue two opposite directions at the same time the culture or God. Choose wisely. Let me say that again. You can't pursue. Two opposite directions at the same time. The culture or God. Choose wisely. Now, John goes on. He's, he says this at the end of 15 and the end of 16. For everything that belongs to the world, the culture, everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh. Let me pause there for a moment. The lust of the flesh is that deep craving to stimulate our bodies with ever-ending pleasures and excitement and thrills. It's the pursuit of pleasure. So he says, for everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, and then he says, the lust of the eyes... Now, the lust of the eyes, that's the craving to to buy more and more stuff, tasty foods, delicious uh, playthings to fill our houses and our sheds and our garages and our stomachs. It's the accumulation of things. So the lust of the flesh, that's pursuing all these pleasures. The lust of the eyes, uh, collecting all these things. And then he says, and The pride in one's lifestyle, which is just bragging about our accomplishments. It's maybe not even bragging, just kind of taking credit for what we've done instead of giving glory and thanks to God. It's kind of also defining who I am as a person based upon what I have done as a person. That's also the pride of life. And John says this about these things. These things. Uh, the, The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Now, John is saying this is a culture thing. This is a culture thing. It says, I'm living my life to make me smile. I'm living my life to please me. I'm living my life to excite me. I'm going to chase Whatever makes me smile. I'm going to go get it. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, to collect it. Now, John is saying, look around. I mean, I mean, look what you've done. He's saying, are you patting yourself on the back? Based upon your accomplishments, what you've done? John is warning us here. He's saying whenever any of these cultures, three deadliest beliefs get into our heart, they slowly turn us, no matter how long we've been following Jesus, they slowly turn us away from God towards a life of destruction. You see, they promise over here. They promise to give us pleasure, and they promise to give us smiles. They promise to give us happiness. And for a season, they might, but the end result is destruction. And each one of these things, I mean, it is supremely selfish. I mean, it it has no regard for the character of God, for the love of God. Last week we said God's character is love and the world has no regard. These things, these three deadliest beliefs have no regard for God or His love. And the sad thing is most of us today who are Christians are infected on some level by one of these three deadliest beliefs. And if we need proof For ourselves, we have all the evidence we need. All we have to do is look at what we think about during the day, so often, what we talk about, so often, what we do, and it's going to reveal one of these three very likely. And the thing is, these beliefs are so sneaky. They are so sneaky. We can be openly Christian and and openly in our behavior. Christian and at the same time we can kind of harbor one of these beliefs and the thing that's happening is it is slowly turning us away from pursuing God. So let's take just really this morning a quick closer look at each one of these three beliefs. The first one we're going to look at, it's not the first in the list, but the first one we're going to look at is the lust of the eyes. So immediately when I hear that, I'm like, I'm thinking about, yeah, lust of the eyes. It's like lusting over that hot body at the beach, right? That's, well, that's part of it, but that's not all there is to it. That's not all there is. It's any illicit or inordinate. That means too much, too much desire for anything, wanting something with too much desire, wanting something that maybe belongs to somebody else. Your neighbor's duck boat, or your neighbor's wife, I mean, that would not be included too. Could be your neighbor's house, could be your neighbor's spouse or husband. It's wanting too much of something that, well, that some things are okay in moderation. We can have some things okay in moderation, like some chips, but maybe not the whole bag of chips. That's my pro right? That, I mean, moderation, some things, but it's wanting too much of something. That's the lust of the eyes. It could be more clothing than we need. It could be bigger, faster, more impressive card, when the one we have is really working just fine, perhaps. It, it may be that that rebate or that markdown or that red tag at the store is just, too good of a deal to pass up and we don't really need it right lust of the eyes leads us to this great american tradition called materialism and if materialism has caught you in any amount then in our hearts we have a belief that tells us life ultimately is about making me happy so here's a question. Is a person out of balance in their life if they want too much? Another question, is a person focused on loving God and reflecting His image by what He says and what He does? Or is he focused on wanting that next thing? You see, it's a great trap, a great trap, because how, how much does it take to be satisfied? I mean, how much does it take to stay full? And if you're like me at times, we say to ourselves, well, yeah, I can be satisfied when I get that. When I get that, I'll, I'll, I will be satisfied. But the truth is, the answer ends up, well, just actually just a little more. Just a little more. If you're looking at any of these things around us, any of these things for happiness or fulfillment, the reality is we will forever be searching for happiness and fulfillment because God tells us that the only thing that can bring us happiness and well being is Jesus. He says He gives us everything that we need by giving us himself. And the only thing in our lives that can bring us real satisfaction or lasting fulfillment in life is a relationship with him. Now, don't misunderstand me. I know I have hit this really hard. Don't misunderstand me. It's okay to have some things. It is. We're not saying that having things is wrong. That is not what we're saying. Here's what we are saying. Being fulfilled by those things, being satisfied by those things, allowing those things to have our happiness, that is wrong. Hoping that I'll get fulfilled or happy or satisfied by something, that is wrong. The important thing here is that we are being fulfilled, satisfied by God. That's the point. Now, John, as he was speaking and went through those three deadliest things, he goes on and says this in verse 17, and the world with its lust is passing away. He's saying, listen, guys, looking to anything around you, even a person, anything other than God for completeness, for happiness, for joy, for fulfillment in life, anything else. God says it leads to devastating nothingness. So he says, and the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who, uh, but the one who. Uh, Does God's will, that person that's doing God's will, pursuing him, he says, that remains forever. The person who pursues God, the person who focuses on God, he says, that person is going to find lasting satisfaction. No matter the circumstance, I mean everything around them may be falling apart, but if they're pursuing God, they can still find satisfaction even when the world around them may be crumbling. Think about this. The more stuff that you have around you and that I have around me, the more it consumes my time. The more it consumes my worry, the more it consumes my money, the more it consumes my stress the more it consumes my heart. Now take this thought in. Just taking care of the stuff that we own takes up so much of our lives, leaving us less to love God. Look at it from this perspective. The more you have, the more you depend on it, the more you depend on it, the more you fear losing it. The more you fear losing it, the less time you have to love God. And it all is summarized by the lust of the eyes. And again, he's not saying it's wrong to have things. He's saying it's when that pursuit of those things controls you. You're not following God. You're following this other thing, the lust of the eyes, this whole belief that says life should make me happy. Then he goes on, he, the, the way he ends that trifecta of the three deadliest, he ends it with the pride of life. So the pride of life. You know what, even when I win, that feeling of winning, that elation, it doesn't keep me happy for long. It doesn't last. In America, we have been blessed with so much. And you may say, I have so little. But if you, if you arrived here today in a car, then according to the standards of the, of the world, worldwide, you are among the wealthiest in the entire world. Because you didn't have to walk three miles to get here. You rode in your vehicle or with somebody. And we have a tendency to take credit for this. We take pride in ourselves. That's our tendency. We this is how it's played out. We say I'm gonna live my life and and, and I you know, I'm I'm gonna do it my way and I'm glad I did it. I did it the way I wanted to do it. I'm gonna plot my own path. I'm gonna pull myself through, I'm gonna make it happen. And John, he's telling the people, he's saying, be careful. Again, he's speaking to followers of Jesus. He's saying, be careful. When it comes to pride, John is saying, there's not a lot of difference between the world and between believers when it comes to pride. Everyone is wanting to impress everyone around them. But the only thing we need to worry about when it comes to making an impression is if that day we stand before Jesus he can look at you and he can say well done my good and faithful servant see pride is a great American deception pride is empty but yet somehow it puffs us up pride leads to our destruction but it pretends to build us up our pride is empty and it empties us of everything but it pretends to fill us up our pride our pride leaves us lonely but it promises popularity and this belief of pride it's killing america and it's killing the american church john is saying we need a new Belief. We need a belief that says I must become less and less and less, and he must become greater and greater and greater. So that's the pride of life. Lastly, he talks about the lust of the flesh the desire to do that which is forbidden. And it's not just talking about sex outside of marriage, although that is included. It's any forbidden, excessive pleasure to keep our nerves tingling, our, our, our life stirred up, seeking that next thrill. The term, there's a term for that, even today in our culture. And the term is hedonism. It's the pursuit of pleasure. Sensual, self indulgence, constantly looking to tingle my senses, to make the hair stand up on my arms and on the back of my neck, to feel my skin go flush with a cocktail of hormones rapidly released into my body all at once, dopamine and testosterone, adrenaline, and what I can't pronounce, endorphins, oxytocin, all creating this feel of thrill our hedonistic culture. It describes all of this just as just enjoying life. And you may only have a bit of this in your belief, but any amount is going to be reflected in your thoughts, in your words, in your reactions, and the other people around you are going to see how much hedonism is in your heart and in my heart. Now, I'm going to give you a passage. This next passage should wake you up. It wakes me up when I read it. Paul gives us a picture of this lust of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 and following. Listen to this, 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, this lust of the flesh, the results, when you follow this desire, so we've we got to pick a way, pick a path to pursue. Choose wisely, but if we follow this path, following the culture, he says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. In other words, it's obvious. He says, sexual immorality and impurity. That's an obvious one. And you say, well, I'm not into sexual immorality, Harley. I've been married and I have been faithful through my marriage. Or you might say, Harley, I'm single, I'm not into sexual immorality, I have been abstinent while I've been single. I know God does not want me to have sex outside of marriage, I'm not married, I'm abstinent. You say sexual immorality is not part of what I do. So that's why Paul continues. He, he picks it up for you too. He goes on, he says, lustful pleasures. Just when you thought you were in the clear, <laughs> Paul nails you. Lustful pleasures, uh, the, the pursuit, it's the pursuit of these sensual thrills. Some of these things are socially acceptable, but it's socially acceptable sin. For us, you know, hedonism can become a trap. I I mean, when our focus gets consumed with trips or cars or RVs or cruises or sporting events or sound equipment or... Or theme parks. I mean the list is endless. There's nothing wrong with any one of those things. I just listed. But when they consume our thoughts. When they consume our thoughts. They capture our hearts. And it overpowers us. And steers us away from God. Onto the pursuit of. Of other things. Paul goes on. Verse 20. He says. Idolatry and sorcery. In other words. Worshipping anything other than God. Anything other than the God of the Old Covenant. The Old Testament. The New Covenant. The New Testament. Anything other than that God. And then. Paul strikes a giant blow. He adds this. Hostility. Quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. And you know, all of these things, the root of that is all selfishness. Then he goes back. He keeps going. Lust of the flesh here. Drunkenness. Wild parties. And now, as he ends it, in case he has not hit all of us, He ends it by saying, and other sins like these. So he just says, he picks it up. He says, it's everything, and it's everywhere, and it's all of us, he says. America, where everyone is entitled to a pain-free life of pleasure and comfort, complete with the medical care that covers me, even if I have ruined my health with irresponsible hedonistic behavior. Pleasures overpower us. And have you ever noticed it takes more and more and more to get the same result? So we are in an ever-growing race to find better, to find more stimulation of some sort. And the end result, Paul says, is immorality, sexual addiction, and really we could say any addiction and if in America during my pursuit of pleasure I end up in jail then they better give me the food I want and some good entertainment and some good sleeping conditions because I'm still due my pleasure hedonism it saturates our culture and it's all about how much pleasure can I cram into my life? And then Paul, he speaks harshly here. Listen to this. He says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life, in other words, anyone who day after day after day is pursuing, running away from God day after day after day, not, not talking about someone who momentarily lapses into uh this problem or maybe they maybe they for a season lapse back into that addiction it gets a hold of them again that's not what he's saying same with someone who just they cut god off and, and they they just they just their whole life is pursuing that he says anyone who does they they won't inherit the kingdom of god that's what he says It's not saying that a Christian will lose their salvation. It's saying someone who has never really surrendered themselves to Jesus. Someone who's never really given themselves to the King of Kings. And instead, they have remained the king of their own life. And that's the life they've chosen. Wow. Paul speaks harshly. Paul is implying here that these, these Christians that he's talking to, he's saying, be careful that you're not living that lifestyle. Take a close Look at your life and your heart. He says, are you really a follower of Jesus? Or are you just wearing the label around your neck, the sign that says Christian? Or is it really happening in your heart? He said, beware, be careful. He's speaking to people who are saying, I'm a Christian. And Paul is saying, make sure you don't just have a sign that says Christian. I'm with him, stupid Make sure that it's happening for real in your heart. And he warns us as well. He warns us today to take a close look at our lives. Are we just calling ourselves Christian, but we don't really have a personal relationship with Jesus? Or are you a Christ follower? A, a a genuine Christ follower but maybe you're losing the battle in one of these devastating areas and you're and it's just it's turning your heart it's not saying you're losing your salvation it's just saying your heart is turning away from God he says don't allow your heart to turn from God and to be consumed with the culture around you Don't be consumed with this world we live in and must live in. And my friends, this series, the reason why we're doing it is because we want to help get our lives on track by getting God's Word into our lives and getting us moving from a hedonistic, self-seeking, self-loving culture and turning our hearts back toward Jesus. You see, when Jesus came, Jesus did not come here. Jesus, God Himself, did not walk on this earth to find pleasure. He came to serve. And He came to set the captives free. And that's us. Paul goes on in this same passage He doesn't leave us hopeless, doesn't leave us helpless. We don't have to stay in the clutches of these three deadliest beliefs. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Galatians says this, chapter 5, verse 22. Paul says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And he said, in self-control. And he says, there's no law against these things. He says, these other things, they can put you in jail. He said, there's no law against this. So how does God produce these things in our lives? If that's what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in you, how does he do it? There's one way. Now, there's other ways that God works, and he can do this. But there's one big way, huge way, that he uses every single time. It's by replacing the faulty beliefs that we have put deep down in our hearts, replacing those with his true beliefs. By hiding his beliefs in our hearts, his words in our hearts. Too many of us, myself included, at times in our lives have been duped into the pursuit of personal pleasure. And even the best among us on any given Sunday has seeds of that in their heart. And any seed is a deadly seed as it moves our hearts away from a loving God. Paul says, change your beliefs. You'll change your life. And the Holy Spirit will begin out of your heart to produce love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He will do that. But it will take time in your life. It's going to take something new from you. It's going to be taking something that is actually placed inside of you. And that's God's word. Again, if you missed last week, go online and listen to that because we talk in detail about how to take God's word and put it into our hearts. And just like last week, we're going to ask you to start this again, to do this again with one of those faulty beliefs, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, something in there, take one of those faulty beliefs, a seed that we have planted in our own hearts, identify the behavior this week, one of those faulty beliefs, agree with God, God this is not godly, I agree with you, this does not reflect your love, it is not godly. And we, if you can't find a scripture on the take home that you pick up today, Each one of these is a section, Lust of the Eyes, Lust of the Flesh, Pride of Life, and there's scripture listed to help you out if you need help finding one. Find a scripture that will help you memorize that scripture and then savor that scripture. Listen to last week to learn how to do this, how how to memorize it, how to savor it. And at the same time, don't forget about the scripture you learned last week. If you forget about it, You slip back into it. Part of savoring it is not forgetting about it. So while you pick a new one this week, then continue to look at the one you're memorizing from last week. Keep that going. Keep that process going. Here's the thing. In as fast as one week... If you did this last Sunday, if you really did this, this happened for you. I know it. If you did this in as little as one week, you began to see at least the smallest of changes in your behavior, in your feelings, in your thinking in as little as a week, you began to see your tomorrow change. So why don't we do this all the time? Because we stop to pursue our pleasures. And God is saying, please, begin to let the pleasure of your life, of your heart, be my word. In your heart. Why do I know this can begin? but Just beginning. The change goes on as you continue to review that verse in your life. The change gets bigger and deeper. Why do I know this works? Because it's working for me. Vanessa and I were talking this week about an area of my life where I have some extreme bitterness. And it got to the point where I was so consumed that I could see nothing else. And in just days, I'm not saying God has completed that work, but in just days in my life, as I began this process Some time ago as I began it, in just days, God began to change my tomorrows by taking that bitterness and shrinking it away. If God can do this in me, God can do this in anyone. And He'll do it in you. That's what God desires. That's what He desires from you. Will you join us on this journey? Let's pray. God, we have allowed some of the culture around us to slip deep down into our hearts. And we haven't even noticed it happening. God, at times we seek happiness through things around us. At times we seek fulfillment through pleasures. And God, at times we use our accomplishments to prove our value, even if we're just trying to prove it to ourselves. But God, you despise those things that we cling to for fulfillment. And you've called us to live in freedom. And your world tells us that you give us the grace that we need to stand against these things that we're battling for our lives over. If we will simply humble ourselves and pursue you. God, may your word transform us as we bring it into our hearts. We ask this. In the name of Jesus who died for us, amen.